Splash 322 for throwing fire. We're keeping it there's no doubt that the game has changed and we are changing with it welcome to season two because in this season it is all about how we become and stay operational how we're ready for every moment of our life on and off the job i'm your host jeff fanman Thanks for joining me, and let's get down to it. This podcast is brought to you as a part of the Operational Mindset Foundation. Our mission is to mentally, physically, and emotionally prepare you for the challenges you're going to face on and off the job. It's funded through donations, sponsorships, and our work with departments across the U.S. Get involved with us by visiting opmindset.org. That's opmindset.org. There you can find out how to bring a new level of training to your department and how to help us expand the conversation. Now, let's fire up today's episode. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. This is going to be a fun episode. This week, I've got Benjamin Martin with me. He's a captain in what we will term as a pretty large uh, Metro Fire Department there in the Virginia area, not Northern Virginia where I grew up, but the lower half of Virginia. Uh, and, you know, I getting to know Benjamin, reading some of his other stuff in the past, you know, hey man, I know you like, like engine company work and I'll forgive that, you know, right <laughs> now, but uh, uh, we'll have some banter about that. But listen, you know, Benjamin has been a pretty uh, kind of a rising star in some of the areas with a really unique look at leadership, emotional intelligence, organizational culture. Uh, you know, I listened to you speak here last October uh, at Firehouse Expo talking about toxic leadership. Uh, you've had articles across fire engineering, fire rescue, uh, fire department training network, uh, and a bunch of others. And I know now uh, in conjunction with your full-time job, you're also running uh, Embrace the Resistance. So let's actually start there. Because I think that'll give us a good baseline and understanding why today's conversation gets to be important. So, Benjamin, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And you know, give me some, give me some background on why embrace the resistance and what are you resisting? Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, so hopefully, we'll we'll give them something entertaining and informational. So. Totally. When we talk about it, embrace resistance, it's really a journey that started 18 years ago. Uh, I was a volunteer and I was asked to be a duty officer, which is basically the equivalent of a frontline supervisor. And for me, it was, you've been here the longest, which I think at the time had been a year. <laughs> so a year volunteer. Right. And I had the seniority. And uh, that was it. Like I went in and I worked with people and I barked at them and they barked back and whether it was effective or not, like, I don't even know looking back now. Uh, I don't right. think particularly it was, but uh, like, so then you freeze that for another eight years. I get hired by a professional department and I decide that let's not make that mistake again. Let's take some time, develop. Uh, but I'm the type A go-getter guy. Like, you know, and I had some early experiences in my department where I was just working for some terrible, terrible leaders, uh, not human mm. beings, great people. Yeah good heart, yeah. just not same boat, like same boat. They were never prepared to lead people. And if you think that's not you know, important, then you're probably way early on in your leadership journey or you're way late, uh, which is I hope where we can get you in this conversation to get you looking at what you could be doing right now. So uh, I made it eight years and I worked for good leaders and I worked for bad and then I got promoted. And I don't know why, I don't know whether it was because I considered myself uh, well-read and, and into the job. So I, I knew admin stuff, but I also knew ops stuff. And I love pulling hose as much as I do coaching and just building people up. So I really thought that with my energy and with what I knew and my passionate training, that it would just fall in and it would just click. And it did for about a year. And what I found right. was uh, we had a, a senior firefighter that I worked with. He got promoted six months after I got there. And then they sent us another senior firefighter. And then he got promoted three months later. And then it was this, hmm, like, what's the secret sauce over here at this station? So they sent uh, someone that I affectionately call George now. And that's not his real name. And his, his name changes as I travel throughout the country. But 
George is the one I usually settle on. And George was a firefighter that was senior to me. And George was in a bad spot. He was going through some stuff that involved the domestic realignment. And he was having some issues with accountability for his actions. There were some kids in the mix. And young Lieutenant Martin at the time, who had a one-year-old and a pretty steady, rock-solid marriage, tried to be empathetic to this gentleman. And that worked for maybe a few months. And then it didn't. And when I say it didn't, it was oil and water. It wasn't anything close to mixing. And I realized, and then over the next four months, when I finally got to a point where I watched him break down and just cry, that I was probably the most ineffective leader I had ever seen. Uh, And I always used to joke about all the people I complained about, but I wouldn't want to work for me back then, looking back. It was was bad. And so uh, I obviously got in the rumor mill. I got a lot of resistance from folks, even folks that I trusted. You know, I would go to them with things and you know, this situation with George wasn't one-sided. It was very complicated. You know, leadership, as you know, Jeff, it's not black or white at all. And I was trying. Oh, yeah, I always had it. I, I always had his best intentions at, at heart, but I really struggled in communicating with him. I just couldn't seem to get on the same page as him because I had the expectations of a leader, of an A player, and he was looking for the minimum and maybe even below that a little bit. And uh, I forget who said it. This isn't novel, but I love it, and I, and I try to live it. You'll know a good leader because they'll understand what it takes to lead someone from where they are instead of where you want them to be. And the Mm. ability to go from where you are currently to where they are and spend time with them and build them up and encourage them and forgive them when they screw up and be humble about your success and acknowledge that you will have failure coming and walk with them. That journey, like that's a true for me leader follower dynamic. And I don't see a lot of that. And I didn't, I didn't deliver that to George. I just didn't. Um, and yeah. more so, you know, what we're going to talk about today, uh, it got to a point where George, where he was getting affirmation and confirmation that he was doing the right thing by fighting me from people, even other leaders, uh, even people in my chain of command. And by the yeah. time all the facts come out and you've got, you know, basically dereliction of duty and subordination, not checking trucks out, not wearing his uniform downloading copyrighted uh, pornography on the station Wi-Fi, just like ludicrous things. Uh, and he stayed resolute through the whole thing of like, you can't touch me, you can't touch me, you can't touch me. And then when I finally was able to get him on paper, he still never technically got a write-up because of the events that happened where he broke down and then it was like, oh crap, like, we don't, this guy doesn't need to be fired. He doesn't need, even need to, to lose money. He just needs to be loved a little bit. Like, let's get him in a, a safe place. Let's figure out who the people are that can help him. And I wasn't, I wasn't that guy. And we realized that. And I actually left that team, that place that I wanted to be, because it wasn't fair to move him and let him catch the rumor mill of, you know, oh, why have you only going to move that just six mm-hmm. months? And I took that one across the chin. And I watched people that knew me and knew my heart uh, just turn a blind eye and a cold shoulder to me. I watched people, uh, as I reached out, tell me one thing to my face and then turn around and stab me in the back. And it was lonely and it led to depression and weight gain. And now fast forward a year and I'm in counseling myself for my own marriage. And I'm like, oh, day, what an arrogant piece of crap I was to think <laughs> that I wasn't, I was going to be immune to this because I had it like, here's my yeah. air quotes. Like I had it together which I obviously didn't. And it was at some point during that year where I was dealing with the rumor mill and and I was working, trying to redeem myself. And I was trying to get where home was the priority instead of work because I was way in over my head at work and committed to too many things. And I was flowing a hand line teaching recruits uh, about nozzle reaction. And I set it down, I turned it off, I turned it off and then set it down. And the recruit said, so basically the only time you experience this reaction is when it's flowing. And I said, yeah. And he's like, okay, so just don't flow it, like joking. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, I guess, but that doesn't make for a terribly effective fire attack. And I was like, you know, that's the same damn thing for leadership, really, when you think about it. Like anytime I set something in motion, it's reasonable to predict that there's going to be some kind of counter reaction. Unfortunately, the fire service as a whole and its culture has gotten to this, like there's only so much value that I can have. And if this guy has a little bit of that, then I can't have that. And so they try to take it by character assassination and gossip and rumor mongering and 
and it's just nasty things. And I don't think Man, I, had, yeah, like- I had somebody, yeah, I had somebody a couple months ago, you know, and I can't remember if it was fire service or law enforcement. It's across the board, military fire service, across the board, any of ours out of the services. We are great at one thing, and that is eating our own. And we yeah. will just devour our own people. And it's absurd. Yeah. And, you know, it sucks that it's still going. I feel like it's getting better, but man, it's still like so prevalent. It just, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And just a sidebar here before I finish that thought, if I can even remember it, um, was like what you and I are talking about is not hugs and kisses. We treat each other with kid gloves all the time and we don't, you know, get raw and get real with people and tell them where they need to improve. And even demonstrate that by letting people make fun of us. That's not at all what I'm proposing. Uh, but there's right. a difference in my mind between busting somebody's chops and kicking them in the balls. I also talk about yes. it a jab versus a haymaker. When you jab somebody, that's friendly. That's kid, you know, that's that's playground stuff. But when you try to land a haymaker on somebody, especially when they don't even know they're boxing with you, that's bullshit, right? And then yeah. a lot of times, leaders get in positions where they feel threatened, they feel challenged, and so they throw haymakers. Uh, and then people on the other side of that respond by throwing more haymakers. And if there's one right. thing about the fire service, we love to run and tell our peers what's happened to try to build support and get our version of events out there first. And if you're in a formal leadership position, you're really hamstrung in that race because you can't. It's their privacy. So you sit there and you take it and you hear things about yourself and you're like, that's A, that's not true. B, that's certainly not true about who I am. C, that never happened. And it's like, God, like, day, how do you? How do you even start to get to the root of these things? And, and you can't. And so in that moment, flowing that handline, I made a decision. I was like, listen, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to get better as a leader using George as kind of a, a near miss. And then it's in my heart to travel and speak to anybody that will hear me about this message, hoping that they never, ever make the same mistake. And there were other things happening concurrent, uh, which we could talk about, where I took a disc assessment which is basically like a behavior tool, you know, about personality traits and dominance and influence and stuff. And the woman, God, I remember this woman, Jeff, from HR looking at me and I knew her. We had a relationship. She had been my coach for about six months and she's looking at this thing and I'm like, just say it. And she's like, ah, and I'm like, Nancy, it, it can't like whatever it is, say it. I need to hear it. And she's like, you ever been accused of being arrogant? And I'm like, yes, all the time. They're clearly wrong. Move on. No, I'm just kidding. No, tell me about that. Like, tell me about this, this arrogance piece. And so we went through and, and I thought about it and it basically was, you know, overconfident, arrogant, lack sympathy. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't think I was coming across that way. I'm a fun guy. Like I was a bartender for years. I played rugby. Like I love socials. Like I have friends. I have relationships. Like, why am I so ineffective at work in this? And about the same time that that disc assessment, assessment was happening, that I got that feedback, I went up for lieutenant and I didn't get it. And uh, I was, uh, I guess I had enough of a relationship with one of the guys on the uh, interview panel that after they made the promotions and then three months later, they made more. And I got in that round, he was able to talk to me and he goes, you ever, has anybody ever told you that you're arrogant and, or overconfident? I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? And he basically, I almost felt like Nancy had emailed him the notes from the disc right. assessment because he was going verbatim. And so I called Nancy up and I'm like, tell me more. And that's when my journey down this emotional intelligence piece started, which was like, and, and I'll fight this to the death. Great leaders are not just made, but they die and they're reborn and they, they start over from scratch and then they learn and they, and they get better that way. It's just, just, there's no pinnacle of success where you stay there and you certainly don't arrive knowing everything. And to think that is just ludicrous, which takes me back to the volunteer thing. Why didn't anybody ever like, hey, what do you like? What do you think about leadership? What do you think a good leader is? What do you think a bad leader is? What would make somebody feel good about you? What would make somebody not trust you? And just to even have that conversation would have been a good platform of, well, maybe I don't have all the answers, which is a leadership. <laughs> You're clearly not going to have yeah. all those answers. Um, yeah, and man. then getting to yeah, a place you, where you can be humble about it. I, you're spot on, man. I mean, I think that that even you know my first massive touch, you know, with like swift kicking the balls. Uh, you are completely failing as a leader, you know, came. And then on the flip side of it, the first book I read is Daniel Goleman's Six Styles of Leadership, uh, you mm-hmm. know, which he takes and brilliantly lays out, you know, a deep seated understanding of emotional intelligence as it relates to 
you know, very distinct styles of leadership that have to be applied in the right time at, with the right individual, right in the right context. Like there's so many components to it. And, you know, I, you know, I, I tell this story a bunch and because I'm listening to it and he's talking about like the commanding style of leadership. And, you know, I just grown up in the fire service, gone to the military, came back to the fire service, fire service culture had changed, was not doing great with the shifts in the culture. If you will say that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, late nineties, uh, changes there, different, uh, more touchy feely from when I grew up and the expectations that I had, you know, for people. And, and it literally, you know, he was talking about, you know, all the great things about being in that commanding style of leadership. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. We're going to turn around. We're going to drive back to my house. I'm going to make sure everybody listens to this. And then he starts talking about like all the consequences and all the negativity and all the crap that comes when you exhaust your people and exhaust. And I was like, shit, he is totally right. And yeah. I have totally screwed this up. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, yeah. I think you're right when you say leaders aren't, aren't even, you know, they're definitely not born. They don't even necessarily grow into it. They may grow into it a little bit and then they fail and fall on their face and then they pick themselves up and they keep going. So it is a moving target, you right. know, it, perpetually. You'll never arrive at a destination where you can look around and be like, okay, I got it. Cause everything yeah. around you is changing constantly. Yeah, I can tell you that I think the best leaders when I look back, and this is what I'm trying to model myself, is when you work for someone who's on their leadership journey and is introspective of that journey and willing to share what they're feeling and thinking about it, right? They're that, not even confident, but they're, they're just that secure that they don't have all the answers and they're willing to let people look in, you know, to see what's on the other side of them, including all the, I don't know, I don't know what to do in this situation. Let's try to figure it out together. Like that's where people buy in. But presenting yourself as arrived and pretending just because your bugle's crossed now that you have everything that you need to be successful and everything they need to be successful, it, it just doesn't happen that way. Um, and yeah. things like, you know, I know there's people listening that are like, oh, this is crap. And this is what I would tell people. Have you ever had a moment where you're having an argument with someone and you realize they're right and you're still not relieved that you know the correct answer? Right. The feeling isn't enlightenment, it's resentment that this individual has the correct answer. And whether they're your boss or your wife or your husband or, or whatever, it's just so counterintuitive. Like if, if we're trying to get the right thing so we can move forward and, and be successful and experience success as a group, then I should be happy that this guy or girl has the answer. And all I can think about is this guy's a freaking know-it-all or this guy's an asshole. Of course he has the right answer. And that's the kind of unpredictability that, that people, because even you may never even know as a leader that they're thinking that, like I was before yeah. the DISC assessment. I had no idea. So, yeah, I mean, this, this introspection and self-awareness and social awareness is way, way, way more important than I think anything else out there that's being written about leadership. And that's just my opinion. Yeah, man. No, I because, listen, it's a, you know, it's a, there are so many pieces to this when you begin to you know, break things down. And one, you know, we have this idea of ourself. And, you know, last week I was telling you, you know, last week we had Phil McKernan on and we really kind of talked about identity and just this very challenging conversation to be a part of. It was phenomenal and challenging all at the same time. But, you know, we have perception of self and then there is the perception of who we are from the outside. And rarely do those ever really match up. Right? right. I mean, I, I internally, I see myself who is, you know, who I am, where my intention lies, you know, I mean, even with my wife, I will like, like I will screw up. I didn't mean to, I didn't intend to, but I still did. You know what right. I mean? And right. that's then that triggers for me, this shame and guilt and, oh, I'm such a fuck up or I'm such a screw up or whatever it might be. Right. And so this internal battle triggers. And it's kind of designed around what, but I didn't intend to hurt you or say that or be mean, you know, that wasn't like at my right. core, but, but she can't see that. And it's the same thing right. in the firehouse. Like we can't see inside each other as to how we feel or what's going on. And yeah, you're right. It's not about giving you a hug. I'm happy to kick you in the ass and move you down the road. But at the same time, I think the biggest thing I've learned and you, you feed back to this, I try to now. I kind of look at everybody like a five, six or seven year old. And when they're kind of acting out, when there's some behavior out of the norm, it's like, okay, 
what's going on here? Because your little kid is showing up and right. you know, you feel, you feel unsafe, you feel unheard. You know what I mean? There's something causing this, this reaction, you know, cause as the more I've gone even deeper and deeper and deeper into some other areas, man, I, I really see that we're all kind of, you know, six-year-olds running around in grown up bodies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. we are because we don't feel great about ourselves. Yeah. We don't feel safe in the environment. We don't feel safe to communicate things or say things. You know, now we're scared we're going to be judged. I mean, there's all kinds of behavioral patterns that come out when sometimes all we need are like, you know, little Jeff just needs a hug. You know what I mean? Like little George, right. little George just needed somebody to freaking, you know, needed to needed to crawl up on dad's lap somewhere and feel safe for a minute. Because he's unsafe yeah. at home, he's unsafe in the firehouse, he's unsafe in his own career, he's unsafe in his own decisions. Like he's just completely unsafe everywhere. Yeah, and, and a lot nobody's of times providing. People... No, go, sir. Go ahead, Jeff. No, as you can say, and 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 you know, and he's looking around and like nobody's providing it. You know what I mean? So right. go. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of leaders, and I don't know whether this was because we grew up under Maslow's needs or or what it is, but we focus a lot on physical safety, right? So. Returning mm -hmm. men and women to the firehouse from the fire scene and then getting them home. Uh, and that's how we're wired biologically. What is rumbling in the bush? Is it going to eat me? Uh, do I need to run away from it? Can I punch it in the face yep. and survive? But that's not what threatens people on a day-to-day -day basis at all. Um, if you've read anything, uh, David Rock, uh, I think you and I have agreed, he's a PhD neuroscientist, and he talks about mm -hmm. that five times a second the brain is scanning the threats in uh, social domains, which is status, yep. any, any threat to status, any threat to certainty, autonomy, relatedness, or fairness. And it's a scarf model for short. But most of the time, our subconscious, and if it's extreme, our conscious, but at least our subconscious is hijacked, scanning for these things. And when you're asking yep. someone to show up completely to work and tune out the fact that they're going through a divorce or that their son has an appointment uh, with a you know, pediatric oncologist on Monday, like, and then say, yeah. I still need a hundred percent of you. It's like, no, uh -uh, you got 50%. You can have 50% of my A game today. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh, I, uh, uh, well, no, I told you a hundred percent. No, that's, listen. And so that's when you get in this idea of having empathy and, you know, recognizing how someone could feel in that moment of uncertainty about their son's life or uncertainty about their marriage. And then no matter what they're doing, they're completely helpless at least in the cancer scenario. So there's no autonomy. Nothing they do makes that any better. It's completely reactive. And that kind of stuff is just, it's like a backpack of rock that people are walking around with. And we joke about how heavy our gear is. People are walking around with life circumstances that are way heavier on them Dude, than our gear way. is. Yeah. Way. And yeah, so man. if you're the I, leader it's... that, yeah, oh, I love this stuff. Keep keep going, Jeff. Sorry. No, dude. Keep going. Keep rocking and rolling. Now, this is part of the show, man. We just get into conversation and we just go. <laughs> like this is interrupt each other, cut each other off, jump in. This is this yeah. is the way this show works. So just go. So, Don't worry about it. You know, I wish I wish what I talked about was sexier so I could have pack rooms, and it's just not. It's never gonna be fire attack. But I try to train people to uh, anticipate people's reactions the way we would fire behavior, right? And just cooling it mm -hmm. off and, and giving them chances to vent in safe places and not allowing themselves to get in where they shouldn't be and really approaching it from that fire service angle since that's what we know. But what we're talking about here, like there's always a go or no go with a person or a go and no go yet. And whether you have that conversation with them, whether you give them this thing that could potentially crush them, this feedback, uh, whether it's a friend who's struggling with alcoholism or whether it's a, you know, a buddy who's got a wife who's cheating on him. Like, at, at what point do you have this conversation and how do you have this conversation? And there's so much thought that needs to go into that rather than just having a knee jerk reaction. Uh, and that's why a lot of times you get leaders when they feel challenged this because I said so comes out, which is the utmost dumbest thing that you could ever say. And I know we're modeled after, after the military and that's very chain of command oriented, but if you're not well, looking for feedback, it's, it's, you're going to lose your people at some point or another because of what's happening in their lives. And that's how I lost George as I was completely confident in the direction I was going and I was not willing to consider how he was doing in that moment. And I pressed on and I dragged him with me through the mud because he couldn't walk yeah. because he had no strength to. And, I deserve every bit of, of the slack that I get from that time with him. 
uh, because I did everything right by the organization or policy, and I did everything wrong by him as just a human being. And I really wish yeah. I could have that back. I really do. Well, you know, I and I would challenge you to say it's good that you had it. Yes, I understand what mm -hmm. you're saying. Yes, it would be great to have it back. But yes, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have the introspection today having not had right. it. Like, yeah. you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that anchor to really understand. I mean, this is, this is where I boil down today. And, and, you know, most of the listening audience gets it. I mean, this is, this is the deal. You, you know, you either listen to the podcast or you don't, right? You either want right. to grow and develop yourself in your career, in your home life, in every aspect of your life, or you don't, right? And we've got plenty across fire service, military, law enforcement community that are just very rigid in their beliefs, in their processes, and where they sit and, you know, as it should be. And, you know, they'll figure it out one day or they won't. That's kind of where yeah. it comes down to. But what I believe yeah. fundamentally, like all of the labels we put on things, you know, leadership is not 10 things to do, right? It's not an act of doing. To me, is leadership is, is how you show up, right? It is a state of how you are being, not what you're doing in the context of leadership. And, and I've really, over my time now across the fire service and military the agency doing business just across the board, here's what I continually come back to. And this is really where I've sat. So this is how we're, we're going to pack your next room. Uh, it, it is the ultimate human question and it was running all day, all the time. And it is, am I safe? That is just the ultimate question. And like you said, you know, we're so well developed in physical safety and creating physical safety for ourselves as our, as across the service for our community, for our country, for our people around us, like we're 20, 24 seven, it's our job, keep everybody safe. And we've become great at that where we fail. That's a physical aspect where we can fail mostly miserably is creating an emotional level of safety for everyone around us at the firehouse, right. at home, right? With the family, with the friends like this, this place where I can say, listen, I'm not doing great. Listen, I need some help. Listen, I'm struggling at home or, Hey, I've gone back to drinking or, Hey, I'm thinking about killing myself. Like I'm really yeah. struggling here and we don't do that. That to me is now becoming a 21st century leader across the services is being the guy or the person or the woman, whoever it is, being the person that just generates a level of emotional safety around them that people are willing to come speak and communicate. Yeah. That, yeah. that to me is the secret sauce today. Yeah. And that's, I mean, when you're talking about trust, that's all that is. It's just emotional security that, you, you know, when, if I tell you something or if I follow you, it won't violate any of the things we talked about. It won't violate my sense of status. It won't violate yeah. the certainty about the work. It won't violate my autonomy, you know, and that's not to say that I get to do whatever it is I want to do. It just means I don't feel like you're not valuing my opinion that you've considered me or you've heard me. And yet I understand you've chosen to go a different way, but at least you authentically heard me. Uh, and if you've ever worked yeah. on a committee and submitted something and then the fire chief did whatever they wanted to do, it's a complete waste of time. And there's nothing, like that hurts, that gut punch hurts as much as tripping and falling and skinning your knee. You know, it's the same pathways 100%. in the body, social pain and physical yep. pain. But like that's, when you look at leadership, leadership is for me is like a technology, right? It's no different than the gear that we have, right? But the problem is that we're carrying around 2020 gear where we can go deeper and further and survive hotter temperatures than we ever have with advancements in technology like thermal imaging, with all this crazy training about reseal vs and whether you're in the slicers camp yeah. is, is another conversation but you've got all this investment in that but the leadership theory is still stuck in like late 90s right we you know we're, we're still on this servant the leadership best. mindset <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah and that's being generous that's being like i think the best departments are in this are in the servant leadership but the majority of the fire service we're still a little bit stuck back in theory x uh, leadership where like people are inherently lazy and I'm supposed to tell them what to do. And the gap that's going to come that, that I feel like, I, you know, I, I follow the statistics for people that are killing themselves in the fire service and law enforcement. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. an expert on those. I just know that it's going one way. 
And I think it's going up as fast as it is, one, because we've got reporting, thanks to people like Jeff Dill and Firefighter Behavior Health. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got people that are advancing this peer support narrative. So we're talking about it more, which obviously is going to make you find more instances of this. But I also think at the same time, that is in response of living in a world in which you're always expected to be on with technology and social media. And you've got so much pressure socially to have a lifestyle and for your wife and your kids that's competitive with what you're seeing on Instagram. And then we text each other instead of call. We email instead of visiting them in person. And our physical relationships deteriorate. Like, I mean, Thanksgiving is a perfect example. We just celebrated it, right? And I'm guilty yep. of this too. I, I texted five of my closest friends instead of calling them because I was able to do that in five minutes instead of what it would have taken me five hours. But Lord help me if I find out six months from now that one of those phone calls, I would have found out my buddy's wife was leaving him and I could have talked with him about that. And like, that's yeah. the piece we're missing. And because leadership's a technology and technology always improves in response to need, it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be you and I on the fringe talking about emotional intelligence and being authentic and humble and, and demonstrating humility. And there's going to be a core group of rock stars, air quotes, rock stars, like do whatever I say, do it how I do it. You know, fuck you if you don't like what I say. It's like, no, man, that's, that's, that's crap. That's absolute crap. And that's the best way to run somebody into the ground and ruin an organization. And when those yeah. jackasses promote high enough or they get the, the right audience that's promoted high enough, then that's what tanks organizations. And you do not have to look far to find legacy fire departments with toxic cultures because of leaders. Dude, I, was the jack- like, I was one of those jackasses, you know, 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I was no too. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. totally was. All right, we're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Brute Force Training. When you're ready to be in the physical condition necessary to meet the rigors, demands, and expectations of your profession, then check out the team over at BruteForceTraining.com and pick up their gear. I promise you, it will put you in the condition you need to be in for this moment and the next. You can use the discount code OPMINDSET, that's OP Mindset, and the team will take a little bit off the top for you. Now, always remember, train accordingly. Now, let's get back to the show. I totally was too. Um, but you're at least smart enough to, to learn and value the mistakes you've made and leverage those so that others don't have to make that. Whereas most people are just either embarrassed or they're too proud to look back. And, it, you know, like in my instance, it would be all the fault lies with George. That's not true. George has some responsibility right. in that. I, I, as the leader, should automatically, as a default, be at 51%, automatically, and could go higher. But to think that George, you know, has all of that blame, no. No, there's, there's many, 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 many things I now know that I could have done better, which is why we go around talking about these things. Well, man, I think, I think this is, so I'm going to, like, banter with me on this one. I'm just going to, idea coming to mind as we're talking. You know, it's interesting, right? Because we live in a world, and I'm going to, you know, fire service, law enforcement, military. And we have a very specific job to do. And in doing that job, we need to operate at an entire different level. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we do need to do things successfully, like, you know, compartmentalize emotional content and separate ourselves from what's going on at home or, you know, what's going on in the firehouse or, you know, what's happening there. We have to, we have to understand how we kind of turn those channels down or close, you know, box those channels up for the time that we need to be fully present and in action, right? To respond to an emergency, to fight a fire, to make an arrest, to do X, Y, and Z, to go to war, to do whatever, right? And all of our existence is centered around those moments. And the reality is we all know this, if we're honest, those moments are so brief. You know, what is it? I don't even know what the statistics is. Like how many how you spend a 25 year career in the fire service? How many years did you spend actually on a heightened emergency scene? Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're required maybe two, you know, maybe five, if you're in a bust ass department, right? I mean, it's not that yeah. much comparatively, but all of our world is centered around those few moments in time, like all the training, the culture, the conversation, you know, fuck that, settle down, shut up, do your job kind of stuff. All settle for that one moment. And then we've left the 90% of the rest of our time 
to try to assimilate into those moments. Cause I mean, I yeah. was awful, dude. I, in the firehouse, I mean, on the fire ground, great, no problem. In the firehouse, total shit show. What an asshole, you know? I mean, I was a dick amongst yeah. dicks. Like I ran the firehouse like we were on fire 24 seven and right. exhausted yeah. the crap out of people, right? And so, yeah. but that's what you quote unquote do. That's how you do it. And so right. I think what's happening here is we're starting to chip away to be like, okay, listen, I need to, I'm going to fully, and this is where, this is why I call it an operational mindset, because it is the ability to execute the mission with absolute perfection and confidence and capability and everything you need to have in that moment in time, and then transition mentally, emotionally, physically from that environment to the next. And the next may be back at the firehouse. The next may be, right. you know, I got to give my buddy a hug or whatever it is. And I've got to have that bandwidth and that capacity to maneuver. And so guy, you know, people that are out there that are, that, that don't think this is necessary are living in a fraction of their career, not the entirety of it or a fraction of their marriage and not the entirety of it. That's just me calling myself out along with, well, pretty much everybody else listening. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, so there's a couple of things, uh, if we can play this out that I'd like Dude, to go. talk about. So, um, I hear compartmentalized talked about a lot and that's definitely something that I'm not sure if we can do. So I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the computer, which is running the program that you and I are talking on. And I've got all the books that I've read in the background. I've got things on the wall, family pictures on the desk. Uh, but in the moment, it's what is getting my attention, right? The computer, making sure that this conversation is happening. And if there's anything I want to reference, having it up on here. But if you ask me the specifics about the book covers to my left or, you know, what the brand of TV was in front of me or what dress my wife is wearing in the photo, like that's not important necessarily in this moment. So I'm not going to be able to tell you and it doesn't have my full attention. And that's where I think we've got to focus here is where you go on a call, you know, you may have something going on at home, but the call is what gets your attention. It gets a hundred percent of your attention, even though mm -hmm. we know science has shown us that subconsciously we're being distracted, but all of our conscious minds has got to be able to focus on this. I've heard guys tell me that they don't feel like if they talk with their family during the day, they're as good a firefighter because all of a sudden they're distracted by the thought of their family. Which I dude, think the worst thing you worst important. thing you can do the worst thing you can do on deployment is call home. Yeah, and so it's um, like, all right, well, if if that's true and your family distracts you, then don't let me see you on social media, right? If your family is going to distract you from the mission, right. don't let me see you do anything in your twenty four hour period that would distract you from the mission, and that includes playing on your phone, playing a video game at the station, watching TV, having a conversation that isn't about the mission which is not life. It's, it's not reality. Right. So what yeah. we're really admitting is that we can tune in and tune out of the mission. It's just about, about our ability to maintain focus and attention. And part of our problem is that we romanticize, we way over romanticize leadership because of what we see in culture and movies. Like we're like, you talked about, you're like, you're waiting for this one moment where you're just like Braveheart and you're Mel Gibson and you're giving this speech and you're like, <laughs> God, like I got goosebumps. And the reality is you may, you, you, you may get that, but probably more so where the goosebumps are going to come from is when you're able to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation in the parking lot of the food line, you went to get groceries where a guy breaks down on you and, and you have a safe place for him to land yeah. or whatever else it is that was occupying his attention. Like that's reaching a person. The other thing is just talking to them. Maybe they get the same feeling you get, but a lot, it's just like you and me, man. Like we push them hard, we push them fast. And like, you're like, yeah. And they're like, no. No, uh-uh, but you're so focused, you know, just like on the computer, not paying attention to the color of the books, you have no idea that people have completely checked out around you and they're not, they're not buying into it at all. So yeah. like, yeah, there's gotta be a, a healthy way to process what you're seeing. Cause that's obviously important. Um, and we want to get away from where we're compartmentalizing too much, but at the same time, it's like, all right, I want to do everything I can to be, to get you know, home to my kids. And I tell people that training is the answer to that. Right. When I don't have to think about how to do fundamental skills, that leaves up more brain power to think creatively and figure out solutions to problems that will arise. You can't plan for everything. So that's the goal. Train the shit out of people so that they can focus on the right thing when the call comes in. And then when they get back to the firehouse, they can make the switch back to 
maybe they want to tuck their daughter in over family time or a FaceTime or call the wife and see how her day was or something. But like, I really failed like where I, I would go 24 hours, not talking to them. And life just kept going on here. When, yeah. But the first steps, I missed the first steps, the first words, Christmases, birthdays. Like, so it's like, all right, well, I can make a decision to consciously not be a part of any of that if I'm at the firehouse. Or I can try to find a period where I can blend, where I'm able to focus and not get distracted by them. And I think, Jeff, probably what I'm trying to say here is if you, if you can do this correctly, then your family life will be healthy and you will be in a healthier place and you'll be more emotionally stable and your leadership or even your followership will be more efficient and more effective. And then because it's all in balance, which really probably won't ever happen, but because it's more in balance, you're not going to have all of the distractions you would with a divorce or with counseling or with a sick kid and with any of those things. Um, it's just yeah, like I mean, span of control. Well, we, it is like span of control and we forget that we live, especially in these environments, like most, most normal people, <laughs> those people out there, right? They get up in the morning, they go to work, they sit at their desk, they do whatever, they come home. And I'm not saying they're not without challenge and not without issue. But heightened in our worlds is this understanding that we need to be transitional beings, like transitional, right. like, and, and transitions aren't, we, uh, you know, we, we bookend our day, we get in the car, we go to work, we get in the car, we go home, right? We, we bookend our shift or whatever it is, we bookend it. But in the context of every day, we are constantly transitioning moment by moment by moment. I'm at the firehouse. I'm on a new mess call. I'm helping an old lady get back in her bed. I'm, you know, pulling a kid out of a burning building. I'm cutting somebody out of a car who may or may not make it. I'm, you know, chasing somebody down the street and then I'm counseling the domestic dispute and I'm, you know, helping the rape yeah. victim. Like, dude, that's, and, and by the way, that's just in today. Right. And yeah. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And so, you know, what we lose to me, what I think we lose sight of, and this is where things start to mound for us. We don't execute transitions. Well, that's, you know, when we yeah. talk about emotional stability in the six pillars and, and mental acuity and emotional stability is the ability to transition rapidly, right. To be able yeah. to say, okay, cool. Done with a call. I, what do I need to transition? Well, I need to go for a walk around the block or I need to, you know, grab Ben and take him outside and scream because I'm pissed off at whatever. And then I can go home. Right. And so right. what I'm able to do, and when I talk about compartmentalization, it is more a transitional segmentation of things, not like isolation, mm -hmm. not shutting people down or locking things out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Blinders. You know, because, yeah. Because if I'm going to call home, if I'm overseas and I'm calling home, I don't want to dump what I just did into my family. So yeah. I set myself up. I look at what I need for the next moment and I put myself in the, in the condition I need to be in for that moment. Not, you know, cause my family doesn't need firemen or, you know, cop or military person. They don't need any of that. They just need right. husband, dad. Right. So what, what right. condition do I need and what do I need right now? Like just simply asking yeah. yourself that question. What do I need right now to call home to be the best right dad or husband or whatever mother or you know wife or whatever it may be what do i need and what do i need to help yeah. me be that uh yeah yeah i mean and i, I, dude, think, it's, we, I it, think i think the, the difference because i've never served in the military so I don't, I don't my father was in the air force so i have no uh authority to speak on this at all so i'll, I'll very softly lay this up there and anybody's willing to slap it away they can and they won't hurt my feelings but when you look at the sacrifice that the men and women make that serve our country, where they go away for six months to a year to a year and a half, like I could understand Jeff calling home, finding out his wife's cheating on him, and then having another year on his stint and thinking about how distracted he would be with that. Uh, so we borrow from that with the fire service. Problem is I'm only gone for 24 hours or 48 hours or worst case scenario, I get forced hot overtime and it's 72 hours, but then I'm right back in their lives. And so I think when you look at military service members coming home and Jeff, you can speak to this, like where yeah. do they have the most problem? And I think it's transitioning back into the people's lives because it never stopped happening while they were gone. Um, and that's what it was for my mother, you know, with my father. And, you know, I was too young to remember any of that. So thankfully that wasn't an issue, but uh, I think, I think for the fire service, like 
the idea of compartmentalizing. And, and here's a story. If, if we have a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll tell yeah, you. We, when I was oh. a new, when I was a new lieutenant, right? I had all the status pressure. Like, really wanted to come across as a you know subject matter expert on everything. I'm also a paramedic. Don't judge me for that. So I've got two hats to wear. You know, I've got to be good at, on the fire side, but also good on the paramedicine side. And I'd been there maybe three months, still building relationships with everybody, still hadn't caught a fire. So you know, nobody knows if I'm any good or anything. And we catch a pediatric shooting. And I can remember driving and I didn't know the district that well. So I've got all this pressure about like, I hope I'm, I'm going the right way. And the whole time I'm like, you know, looking at his four-year-old shot by his older brother or younger brother. And it's like, ah, oh, crap, 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 crap. Like just this gut wrenching feeling of like, shit, 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 shit. Like, you know, the big calls that can create that out. And I get there and I'm running up to the house and a police officer comes out and he's holding the kid in a, in a blanket and he goes, it's just a graze. And it's like, whew, right? Subject matter expert. He's telling me it's just a graze. Thank God, DEFCOM level five, back down to level one. Like we're good, Can't you know, cancel the airstrike, we're, we're good. So right. I start getting it in the patient assessment of it. The mom is a mess, right? She had had people breaking in to the house or a neighborhood houses. So she got a firearm out, tucked it under a sofa cushion, I think. And the youngest son found it, who was like two or three, and accidentally fired it on his um, brother, who I think was four or five at the time. So, um, I mean, you can imagine just like in the back of her mind subconsciously, am I going to lose these kids? But at the forefront of her mind, is, is my child going to live, right? So when the police officer says it's just a graze, everybody can collectively breathe a sigh. And I go in there and I recognize, I look over the kid, I, I peel the blanket back, it's, he's in a diaper and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong that I can see. I look and it looks like a, a graze, like an, almost like an abrasion. Even like, are you sure he was even shot? Maybe this is in Rugburn, whatever. And it's in his, um, it's going in his like thigh, right? Or I guess what looks like, you know, a wound to his inner thigh. So after, like, I check a pulse, his perfusion's good. Kid's not even crying. It's like, all right, it's a healthy kid. Let's go ahead and ride down to the hospital just to be on the safe side. Get you out of here. So I put mom in the back. I'm not even going lights and sirens to the hospital. And I look at her, and she's just a wreck. And I think to myself, if this was my child, and Ayla's my oldest, so Ayla was like one at the time. If this was Ayla, nothing could stop me from holding this child. And I'm like, I'm not going to be in the way of that. Man, would you like to hold your son? Yes, I would. Right. So I give her the son. She sits on the stretcher with the son. We go to the uh, trauma hospital and we get over to pediatrics and I'm talking to the attending and then the freaking department head walks in and I'm telling her about what's going on. It's just a graze. And then I hear, well, what's this then? And like, I hadn't even looked over there yet, but I could feel myself getting nauseous, just mm. knowing what was coming. And I look over, they had taken the diaper off. And it's like, like I know your listeners have already figured out the end of the story. They already knew this was coming, but I, I couldn't, I didn't. I left the diaper on, I exposed everything else. Like it was a lower leg injury. There's no way that this child could shoot up this kid's leg and have it exit his butt. But that's exactly what he did. And then all wow. of a sudden details start coming back where the mom was like, he sure is filling up his diaper. He's peeing a lot. And I'm like, well, shit, that was blood. Like it wasn't yeah. a lot of blood. It was just oozing blood. Thank God. But what if it had been? So they did an x-ray and, and the kid was an in and out. Um, and I told, I told the department head, I was like, listen, I, I, I fucked up so bad here. I'm going to call the OMD. I'm going to own this. I'm going to use this as a lesson. You do whatever it is you need to do carte blanche and you're not going to get any resistance from me. No embracing the resistance on this one. Like just do what you need to do. And she's like, well, I can see it in your face. You feel terrible. And I trust that you'll follow up on this. And I will, I will talk with your own D to make sure you have. And she's like, you go do what you need to do and we'll see where it falls out. So I came back to the station and I talked to the guys and they're like, Oh, we should have you know, prompted you. And I'm like, well, listen, like if I'm going to be successful here as a leader, I don't ever want you guys to feel afraid that you can't challenge the lieutenant. Like there's going to be, critical moment and i don't even think that this was a critical life-threatening moment because it wasn't a flashover it was life-threatening but it, it had time to play out i want you to challenge me please don't ever let this happen again but i'm owning this like i don't hold any of you guys accountable this is 100 lieutenant martin's fuck up and i'll own this but just so you're aware don't let this happen to you guys let's work together to have each other's back 
And let's not be so caught up in our egos that we're afraid to say something because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or that we're going to be resistant to it because we've got to maintain the ego. And so I got home and I was telling my wife about it and, you know, she's damn near in tears. And I started doing some research and I came across uh, role ambiguity, which, you know, basically is you wear a lot of hats. So it wasn't just that I was wearing a hat of a firefighter or a hat of an officer or a hat of a, a paramedic. I was wearing a hat as a father, as a husband, you know, as a brother, like all these different roles in my life. And in that moment, when I should have had the paramedic hat on, I took it off and I put the father hat on and I thought about her needs more and I failed her child and her in the process. And what happens is when we put our, we allow ourselves to get in situations where we haven't had training and we haven't had at least a discussion on it, we get into role conflict where doing one role conflicts with the outcome of another role. And a lot of times you see this in buddy to boss where it's like, I want to be the guy's buddy, but I got to be his boss. And you're not either. You're just marginal at both. Mm -hmm. You think you're maybe winning because the guy's not actively shit talking you. Maybe he is to your back, but just because he's not, you know, confrontational to your face, you're like, yes, I'm winning as a leader. But that's not the case. And that's exactly like what we're talking about with this what's getting your attention? You can say you can compartmentalize being a dad and leave it at home, but clearly you can't. That stuff follows you. No, and that's that's not a. and it's not a bad thing. That's part of being human. That's part of our humanity. Like empathy is a core construct of our humanity. And the more we express that, the better. And that, yeah. I would argue, Jeff, that is why we would go into that fire. Because yeah. we want to reunite that kid with their parent, to give them a birthday, to give them an anniversary, like to see them get married one day. Like we'll take significant risks that are counter to our best interests because of our empathy. Our empathy is not, it does not handicap us. It does not distract us. It empowers us as long as we're valuing the right thing. And it's pretty obvious when somebody is, is demonstrating cowardice and not doing the right things. Uh, but that's the type of leader I want to work for that, that has the ability to come in and in one minute be this silly badass, but the next minute be completely humble over a mistake they made or sharing a mistake they made with me 10 years ago Mm-hmm. to establish level footing with me because I want to feel related to them because that's another fundamental construct of safety is relatedness. Yeah. Yeah. That's the next level stuff. And that's the stuff that's not being taught. And that's the reason why we're going to have this gap. In this. But, you know, in every gap, you get people like me, you know, and you that are like, we're not, there's a need. There's a technology that's not out there. So I'm going to, we're going to speak to it and literally build this. I don't want to say from scratch because we're, we're studying research that's been done since, you know, sometimes the thirties, but in the fire service, it's all new and novel. And you all, you, anybody listening here knows if it's new and novel in the fire service, it's the first to get, you know, an arrow swung at it. So like, that's the hits we're taking because we believe so passionately in it. And like, I've seen it, I've seen it affect my marriage and make it better. I've seen it at work and make my relationships better with people. And the reputation I have now it's so it's like 180 from what I had seven years ago. And it's all been about humility and learning and shared experiences. That's, that's the only recipe that I've had any kind of success with. It's not ever been a one class I took or one moment yeah. I had. It's just a consistent showing up for people. Um, and that's really what I think a leader needs to do. Dude, I, I well, can't disagree with any of that. I mean, I think that's exactly we are human and as humans, we are emotional beings. You know what I mean? We feel, we sense, we connect. Uh, It is just part of our lives and we can't shove it down. We can't turn it off. It's not going to go away. I love it when people are like, well, I don't really have any empathy or I was born without empathy. I'm like, yeah, I know you weren't, you know, because I've had those (laughs) come. I've had people say that, you know, I've had people say that about their partners or other people in the, in the, you know, in their work environment. Like they just, I, they don't have any empathy. They do. They don't know how to unlock it. And there's probably a huge wall of fear there around it. So yeah, man, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's indicative on, on us as one, it's indicative on the leader today to step into this role period. You know, if you're, if you're in any of the services, uh, any, you know, if you, to me, people I hang out with across the platforms, the special operations guys, the intelligence guys, the fire service guys, law enforcement across the board, 
anybody who's been in the career for any length of time and has a sense of themselves understands the value of this conversation of constantly looking at themselves, constantly develop things, you know, willingness to understand their people around them, you know, and really, and take action around it. Right. It's not just, Oh, cool. That was a great podcast or yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What now are you doing with it? What are you, what steps are you taking? You know, if you're a leader in the firehouse or you're, you know, a sergeant, in the law enforcement community or a lieutenant or a captain or a chief. I don't know. You know I mean? We've got chief officers that listen to this. It's like, how are you creating the environment for your people to really get all of this like through, through and through. And, you know, that's not just, you know, let me go see Benjamin talk at firehouse expo. You know, it's like, how do I engage? How do I bring this conversation forward? I mean, I think that's, you know, you touched on the aspects of suicide and the rise around that stuff because they are. I mean, those are that's why I created the Operation Mindset Foundation because I'm a big believer there's a big difference between prevention and intervention. And 90% of what's done is intervention because the thought train has already started. And, you know, I speak openly about years, even prior to the services, this constant conversation of I shouldn't be here. You know, maybe I should just go now. Um, and my own challenges then, you know, enhanced by the stupid life I chose to live. Um, you know, it's crazy what's out there and, you know, we've got to be more real about it. We've got to be more in tune with it. We've got to be available to the people around us because that, you know, that person sitting with you at the dinner table in the firehouse, like you said, needs every ounce of the same person that will run in and snatch that kid out of that burning building. Like 100%. And if you can't be, and especially, you know, I don't care, I don't care what your rank is or whether you showed up yesterday or whether you've been there for 20 years and you're a grouch, that's the condition you have to live in now uh, because it's across the board, man. The game's changed. Like firemen getting shot at, it's a little bit more heyday. There's a lot more judgment across the board. It's not just centered in the law enforcement community, you know, or it's not just military stuff or whatever else it's across the board like you've got to be ready for anything and everything and you're only going to do that when the team is a whole you know is completely whole and able to perform in moments so dude i love it we're gonna have to schedule another time and you know have a whole nother conversation um anytime anytime yeah i I, I love talking with you jeff i I think you're doing great work and i'm humbled to be a small part of it well, that's it, dude. And we're going to, we're going to work together a little bit more in 2020, uh, through the operation mindset foundation in really developing and preparing guys, you know, people to step into harm's way and delivering the conversation early. Cause I think this needs to start like day one. This is the conversation. Yeah. This is, this needs to be, I'll say this. If you think you're an influencer in any of the services, you know, I've, I feel like I served a little bit of that in my time in a couple of places. Like I was somebody people trusted or they listened to, or they came to and talked to. If you're in that role, this is the conversation that needs to be had like this, you know, and I, and I was lucky. I had some old school, gritty, gritty, gritty guys growing up that Mm -hmm. actually had these kind of conversations with me, you know, may not have been this formal, may not have been in these particular words, you know, cause now we're talking almost 30 years ago, but they had conversations like this with me. And that's what I love about these yeah. programs because all that's still embedded in, in a lot of this, this old school, you know, old school, hard ass mentality has to me, I think is actually a big falsehood. And maybe that's what you and I'll attack on the next time we get on. It's like this, this well, perception of anytime. what I should be like yeah. versus you know, you talk to the Al Dutton, retired battalion fire chief from D.C. fire department who you know went to went to work for D.C. the year I was born, you know, telling me how this stuff is radically important to success. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so totally. Yeah. We'll have to unpack that. Totally. All right, man. So I'm going to make sure all yeah. the show notes are up. You and I are going to collaborate a little bit to recreate some of the conversation for everybody out there, get some key topics and some key learning points. So they've got them uh, up there in the show notes. I'm going to make sure Benjamin's wonderful bio is up also in the show notes and a link to him at Embrace the Resistance, but swing by, check out EmbraceTheResistance.com. Uh, are you speaking anywhere anytime soon? You got anything coming up? 
anybody so the, the, uh, I got a uh, I got a small gig in Indiana for a department and then I'll be at the big show at FDIC you know, okay. in April so hopefully we'll we'll see each other there yeah absolutely so if you're going to FDIC make sure you check out send Benjamin a note uh get into his class because it's it is 100 worth it I had a chance to sit in it he spoke right before we prepped the audience for him we prepped the objective for me and in Nashville, if I, I warmed Mexico. them up for you. What they I did. did, and then they all left, and then you know <laughs> they just took around five minutes, and they left, and I came up. So either you were really uh, good or you were really bad, one or the other. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. So, all right, brother. Well, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Uh, everybody else, check out uh, the episode coming out on Thursday. I'm going to do a little wrap up of the last two weeks with you. So enjoy it, and thanks for listening. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Today's show was brought to you in part by the Primed Mind app. You know, I've gotten to know Elliot Rowe over some time now and using his app has been a huge game changer for me. It brings together a perfect set of guided meditations that really keep you in the game. Whether it's sleep, performance, workouts, resiliency, or making those critical transitions between home and work. The Prime Mind app is my go-to source for putting me in the mental and emotional condition necessary to deal with whatever comes my way. Check it out at mindsetradio.com backslash primed mind. That's P-R-I-M-E-D-M-I-N-D. Download it and check out what Elliot has to offer. Remember, this podcast is only available through your continued support through donations to the Operational Mindset Foundation at opmindset.org and through your engagement with our sponsors. So stop by MindsetRadio.com for all the show notes from today's episode and show some love to all of our sponsors by visiting Mindset.com backslash sponsors. As always, feel free to drop me a note with your thoughts about today's episode or join us on Facebook in the Mindset Radio Facebook group. You can follow us on Instagram at Mindset Radio or over at Twitter at Mindset underscore radio. That's Mindset underscore radio over on Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and I'm looking forward to next time. Until then, stay safe and stay operational, my friends.